Good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us again on Wednesday night here at First Church of the Open Bible. And again, uh, I'm Pastor Gary Peterson, and it seems like every week there's someone that, uh, that watches that we have not met. And so if you are one of those individuals, I'm, I'm so glad that you've joined us tonight. And we're looking forward to a study of the Word. And so uh, we're going to go into a passage of Scripture tonight that is... Uh, a great passage, a little challenging sometimes, but it's, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful passage that we'll, we'll get into, and my subject is, or my topic is going to be about God's covering, and actually tonight, living in God's covering. But uh, let me just share a couple of announcements. First of all, I want to thank those who have been giving uh, online, and those who have mailed in their tithes and offerings, and bless you, please continue to do so. A reminder to like us tonight, I just thought about the reverse, I, I'm sure hate it for someone to not like us, but uh, praying that you'll like us tonight, and that you'll share us on your Facebook page, and of course that will broaden our scope of range of contacting people through other contacts. And then let me see, uh, next Sunday's message is entitled, What's Next? What's Next? So uh, that will be next Sunday. And just, uh, I really don't have an update. We are obviously just about ready to enter into May. And so at some point, we're thinking about services starting back up. And so we're, we're trying to do what is best at the right time, and there's a lot to go with, that goes with this whole decision, and uh, there's, there's guidelines to follow and what have you, and so on. We're anticipating sometime in May. could be earlier or middle, but um, right now nothing is for certain until we uh, have a little bit more deliberation. But we will continue to be doing this regardless, as we have been live streaming for a long time anyway, for probably about a year and a half or so. And so we'll continue to live stream. And so God bless you. Oh, also just to remind you that next Sunday is communion. So we'll be having communion together. That'll be part of the online experience. So uh, for those of you who used uh, uh, Cheez-Its last time, uh, who knows, maybe you could use Cheez-Its again or upgrade it to crackers. Or, or uh, one person used Cheerios because they, didn't, they couldn't find anything else in the house. So whatever you, uh, you, know, you want to pray about and sanctify to use, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll go to the table of the Lord together. Hallelujah. Well, are you ready for tonight? I want to pray over this time. Lord, we thank you for your grace. For your grace is sufficient. We thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. For, Lord, your forgiveness, it says in your word that you take our sins and you cast them into the deepest sea, a sea of forgetfulness. As far as east is from west, we thank you, Lord, for being our mighty God, for being our mighty salvation. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do what you do so well. Right now, you're going through the internet waves. You're speaking to people. 
who are watching and listening. Holy Spirit, you're quickening their spirit. You'll be speaking to their minds tonight. Lord, I know that certain things will be said this evening from the Word of God that they will be prompted to not just be hearers of the Word, but to be doers of the Word. And so tonight we just ask Holy Spirit that you would, would Lord, do what you do again so well, and that by your power that there will be just an anointing flowing through uh, the airwaves. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet. Hallelujah. And everyone said amen. Amen and amen. So I want to share again about God's covering. This is the fourth message in this series. And I'm uh, going to be looking at Acts chapter 17 using the New International Version tonight. And so Acts chapter 17, we're going to start with verse 16 and actually um, go through uh, verse 34. So we've got a, a number of verses to cover. And I know, though, it's, it's going to uh, minister to you. I, I, just, I just know that. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, I'm going to, I'm going to really get to them tonight. So uh, praise the Lord. So I'm going to start with verse 16. It says... While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city that was full of idols. So I want to stop right there. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he had been escorted there by some of the brothers and he was there for the purpose of ministering. And he had given to them uh, the, uh, the word to go find his ser fellow servants, Silas and Timothy, to come and join him and uh, minister there as well. But so right now he is by himself in the city of Athens, one of the most notable cities in the entire world at that time. And also very well known for being a place of many, many idols. And so here he is, he's there to minister. And in the King James Version, it says this in about verse 16. It says it this way. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred, was stirred in him. When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. So I looked up some thoughts about what the real meaning of stirred would be. And it would basically mean that Paul was distressed. Paul was bothered. Paul was very concerned. Paul was troubled in his spirit. Now we all know what it means to be troubled in our spirits. I would say that if there's anything that we as a country, really as a world, could equally share in, and it's this very thing. There has been a lot of troubled spirits about what is happening because of the virus and its effects, and again, what that means with economies and businesses closed down. So we all understand what it means to have a spirit that is really stirred and is troubled. 
And so Paul was troubled. He was distressed because of all the idolatry that was in the city. And so the, uh, there's 300, from my recollection of, of study, there's over 300, oh, I take that back, 3,000 altars. If you count the altars and the temples, there were over 3,000 altars and temples in the city of Athens. And of course, this is the Greek background. So here you have your philosophers that are, that are still, quote unquote, ministering today. And so all of these uh, altars and temples, they featured a, an individual deity, an idol, a god that was worshipped. One was a temple was dedicated to Aphrodite. You may have heard about Aphrodite, a love goddess. And they, they had temple prostitutes, and it was built for sexual promiscuity. And there would actually be a, a sexual relationships taking place in the temple. Another temple was the Temple of Zeus. It really promoted human savagery. Another temple was the Temple of Bacchus. So the Temple of Bacchus was for those who... Uh, almost in a sense, worshiped alcohol and drunkenness, and they would find themselves in a state of drunkenness on a common basis. And so Paul's heart was stirred because of all that was taking place. Now, I've got a question for you. I like to have a question from time to time in a message to make you think, to make you uh, dig down deep and to to analyze your own thoughts about a certain topic. So here's what I want to, in fact, I'll just lay it out first of all. If you have ever wondered about being mature as a believer, and I hope you do on a constant basis, we never stop growing in the Lord. We need to be growing in Jesus until the day we die. And so... If you've ever wondered about your own personal maturity, in other words, am I a mature believer? I'm going to give you one of the ways that you can know that, at least with one particular topic. And so one of the ways that you can know that you are a spiritual believer, this is real easy, one of the ways you can know is when your spirit becomes stirred troubled, distressed when you encounter spiritual darkness. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm amazed sometimes at Christians who are not stirred, who are not troubled, who are not distressed when they are around different aspects of what we would call spiritual darkness. We should have a flare going up. We should have a siren that's going off. We should be alert within our minds, hearts, our hearts, our spirits, our emotions. We should be stirred within because of darkness. And as we are light, there is a conflict here. Now, if you're, if you're heading into a dark alley, you're walking by yourself, and you saw a group who, of people walking towards you who were being very loud, very obnoxious, maybe 
maybe they were drunk, you would be concerned. You, you would have your, your alarm bells going off. I need to be careful. This may be a dangerous situation. Well, Paul was in a dangerous situation, and we need to be able to have a spiritual maturity about us to know when spiritual darkness is at work and what we're going to do about it. Some time ago, I was on a bike ride. Actually, uh, both Ange and I were riding our bikes, and we went through a, a town here in Ohio called Yellow Springs. And as we were going through the town, it was really kind of the first time we'd ever went into the city of Yellow Springs, and there's a certain area where there is just a lot of what I would call spiritual darkness. And it was kind of easy to determine because one of the first things we saw that made our alarm bells go off was someone who was, uh, who was using tarot cards on the front yard of, of a building, a school building, and, and they were reading uh, someone's fortune and they were reading uh, someone's poem, and this was taking place... Uh, there were many crystals that people uh, had. Uh, and there's the stores that sold the crystals for helping uh, you to know oh, about various things, which I had actually would call the occult. And, and so uh, it was a troubling place, and my alarm bells were going off, and I was thinking, man, we need to get out of here. We need to keep on riding through because... You know, we, we felt we wanted to have lunch and all that. And, and, uh, but everything, that the stores, the items that were sold at the stores, they were involved with what I would refer to as spiritual darkness with the occult. And so it's something that, that we, we wanted to get away from. So I would suggest to you tonight, if you want to know if you're spiritually mature, then one of the areas that is most uh, that you most want to be concerned about is your awareness of light and your awareness of darkness. Your awareness of light, which is the things of God, the things of righteousness. You know, I, I love it when people say, and they say this often, and I know this isn't just our church only, but when we have uh, visitors and what have you, and even those who have been here for a long time. I, I just feel the presence of the Lord when we come into the church. Uh, I just felt, just, uh, just felt God, just felt. Well, you know what that is? That is the presence of the Lord. We're not special. We are those who are wanting to have the Spirit of the Lord here. And we are as inviting as we can be to the Spirit of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. We invite His presence to fill this place. And so you have to desire spiritual things and spiritual light because darkness is always at work. It's always at work. And so uh, I thought about also some years ago, we went with uh, some you know, several friends, uh, Christian friends, uh, all went to church together, and we went to go see, uh, see a movie. Well, at some point in the movie, wow, it, it, was, uh, it was an action-packed movie, okay? And it started to uh, center around a people uh, who were a cult. 
and they just started doing things. I won't go into the description of it, but it was savagery, and I felt such a foreboding spirit. I felt such a darkness as we watched on the screen what was taking place. It was, it was ruthless. It was, it was uh, again, I'm purposely not telling you exactly what it was, but I don't need to. You know when your alarm bells again go off that I shouldn't be here. And so even though we paid good money, we decided to get up and leave. And at least Angie and I did because uh, we were not trying to be holier than thou. We were not trying to be super spiritual, super righteous. But you see, our spirit was in conflict with the spirit that was coming off the screen. So I, I hope you can understand that. But a very valuable lesson tonight is that your spirit would be like a radar and it would be able to detect the darkness of the enemy at work and you would say, you know what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we're Because you know when that was said, when that was said by uh, Joshua, he was really saying, you know, don't worship the idols and the gods of this land. As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. And so sometimes you can worship idols and not even know that you're really worshiping idols. Sometimes just being around darkness, being around the effects of darkness, and they can have a long-term effect on you. And so, uh, so I, I give you that question to think about and you can know if, if you are really mature because you will want to go to flight. You'll run from the enemy and not draw close to him, but draw close to the Lord. You know, it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, it says, And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. In the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and brought us again into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Hallelujah. In 1 John 5, 21, this is the last verse of 1 John and the very last verse of 1 John, uh, chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Boom. Period. That's it. Keep yourselves from idols. I would refer to that as that which is anti-God. That is what is trying to attempt to be God. That which is taking up a godly uh, position in your life. And sometimes we give up, surrender to ungodly positions and we go down a path again that we shouldn't, we shouldn't go down. So that's the first verse. It's the longest verse I'm going to expound upon as far as commentary, but I feel very passionate about that. So let's go to verse 17. And, and again, we are looking at Acts chapter 17. And so uh, verse 17 says this, so he, being Paul, reasoned, I like that word, 
reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. So there were some God-fearing Greeks who were there. As well as in the marketplace day by day, day by day, with those who happened to be there. So Paul was, uh, obviously, Paul is an evangelist. Paul is a missionary. Paul is a preacher. He's a teacher. And he's in a place that he is actually, uh, he is actually ministering the gospel of Christ. And so, um, you know what, I think, about, I think about those of us who are parents. When you're raising your children, you must be able to reason with your children about the things of God. If they don't hear it from you, then that means you're totally dependent upon a church. You're totally dependent maybe on a Christian school. You're totally dependent on grandma, who is the spiritual matriarch of the family. You know what, may I suggest to you parents, you need to become the matriarch and patriarchs of your own family. It's great to have those who are, and I've had them in my family, so I appreciate those matriarchs and patriarchs. But we really need to be individually ones who can expound about the things of God with our children, with our children. More than ever before, the challenges out there are without, there's hardly words to describe the challenges that our kids are going through. So we need, as Paul reasoned in the synagogue, he was trying to reason with those who thought this way or thought that way. With Jews, obviously, if they were uh, totally in the Jewish faith, then they didn't believe Christ was the Son of God, and they didn't believe that he died on a cross for our salvation. And so he was trying to reason with them, reason with them. And then it goes on to say in verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. If you take philosophy, you will come across these two, these two names, Epicurean and Stoic. And it says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with them. You see, that's what, that's what they do. They debate. They delight in debate. I think if you're debating too long as a believer, you need to leave that, that meeting. If you find yourself just in a long-term debate, uh, whatever the setting may be, there's times when you begin to spin your spiritual wheels and you get stuck in the mire and nothing's taking place. So let me just tell you about the Epicureans. They were philosophers, and you've heard this, their favorite saying was, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And that's still said by those today, I will say so ignorantly, because that is so far from the truth that they're really denying an eternity. So that is their philosophy, eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow we die. So what they're saying is, so satisfy yourself sensually, and just live the good life, relax, <laughs> and take it easy. And the uh, Epicureans were known just to kind of be couch potatoes. You know, they just kind of sat back and they waited for people to come by so they could expound on, 
on the, the thoughts going through their minds about, about how they view life. The other group, the Stoics, on the other hand, they were totally different. They were very uh, uh, disciplined in their thinking, and they would say, free yourself from anything that is emotional, from anything that is sensual, from anything that is material. And so they're just the opposite. So the Epicurean would say, enjoy life, and the Stoic would say, basically, endure life. Neither one had a hope for the future because neither one would have believed in the ability of God to change their lives, for Jesus to be their Savior, for there to be an eternity. And so uh, uh, that, and they, again, were very much intellectuals. And so uh, they loved to talk about new things. And it says here uh, that, uh, in fact, that's exactly what it says, is that they, they loved to preach. It says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic believers began to debate with them. Some asked, what is this babbler trying to say? This is referring to Paul. They listened to him, and I can just see them. They've got their, you know, coolest-looking sandals on, and they're just kind of kicked back, you know, and uh, they're up in the highest point of elevation in the entire city, over 300 feet high, they're in this area called Mars Hill, and they're up there, and they're just looking at the sky, at the, at the city below, and feeling so confident in their ability of, uh, to debate and their intellectualism and their philosophy. And they also, uh, they looked upon anyone like Paul, however, as, oh, Here's someone with a new philosophy. We want to hear what you have to say. And so their thought was, this guy is a babbler. And they said to themselves, what is this babbler trying to say? Verse 18. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Can you imagine all this taking place right now? And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Can I remind you, this was Paul's choice to go to this group and expose himself to this group for the purpose of reasoning with them. Now, if you want to have some respect for someone, have some respect for one who has that type of motivation to take the gospel into an area that is going to be extremely hard to convince anyone who is so confident about their own ability to reason and understand their own intelligence. And yet these are the people that Paul reached out to. I mean, I have tremendous, tremendous respect. And what did Paul do? He did something that is an example for us. Let me just share again the very, last, the very last line here in verse 18. Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Have you ever heard the term? I know you have. Keep the main thing the main thing. There's so much that we can discuss about, about our spiritual walk, about quote-unquote religion, 
I don't like that word, really, because religion, you know, you can be a religious golfer. You can be a religious, uh, you know, you love to surf. You know, you're a religious surfer. But we're talking about your spiritual walk. Keep the main thing the main thing. We should always be about winning people to Christ. Winning people to Christ. And Paul preached the good news. Hallelujah. He didn't preach the bad news. He preached the good news. However, he was in a place of bad news. They didn't say it that way, but he did. And so with 3,000 temples right surrounding them of all types of gods and deities and idols, they are in the bastion. They're in the hubbub of, of the occult. And so he is there to reason and to preach the good news. Now it says here that, uh, that the good news was about Jesus and the resurrection. So he's not only talking about Jesus as far as what he did as far as dying for our sins, but that he was resurrected. So that this is saying something that would really have caught their attention, that there is a power that raised him from the dead. So Paul was the great, he, he did exactly what you need to do, and that is, and that's good advice for us, keep the main thing, the main thing, the main thing. Hallelujah. Verse 19 says this, Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Arabicus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Well, to someone like Paul especially, he was thrilled to do exactly that. Hey, I just want to remind you, you remember when Paul was in prison? When he was in prison in Rome, you realize he was between two Roman soldiers, and they were chained to each other to make sure he didn't escape. They are chained to the greatest evangelist ever. They're chained. How many times did they want to get away? They're bartering with each other. Hey, you know, I need a bathroom break. I need to go do this. I need to go get a cup of coffee. Can you just kind of, no, if I'm chained up to him, you're going to have to be chained up to him too. And the whole time Paul sees them as an unwilling audience, but nonetheless, He's chained up to them. So this is Paul's thing. Hallelujah. So they're in the Arapagus, they're on Mars Hill, 337 feet high elevation, right in the center of Athens. And it was a place where all of these individuals, these philosophers hung out, and also something else. It was called the Council of Education and Religion. Of Education and Religion. That doesn't seem like those two things go together, does it? Isn't it amazing? It did in the first century. But now we do everything we can to separate it. Education and religion needs to be separated. But here in the first century, there was an actual council, and they would meet, and any new religion had to be cleared through them. And so they would meet up there on top of the hill, on Mars Hill as well, and listen and meet and talk with those who were coming in 
talking about some new god, some new deity, whatever it might be. What an interesting talk. What an interesting talk. This is why you need the covering of the Lord around you. Because there are so many philosophies out there, so many, so many idols and so many false gods. And so here, the uh, Council of Education and Religion, they were there, and, and I'm, again, I'm thinking the smartest people in the world really at that time, they still had a connection of religion and education together. Doesn't sound like America. We've went the exact opposite way, haven't we? So it says in verse 21, and all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. I have so much cynicism that's just boiling up within me. I could just kind of go off on that, but I'm going to resist. But that is what they wanted to do, to spend their whole time doing, was just, I can see they have their legs crossed and they've got their wine. And, and uh, every day and every day and every day they meet up there and they just expound about things they think they know about that they really don't know about. And that is their life. And so Paul now has an opportunity to share about the good news of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And I, I came across this phrase. I've heard it before, but I haven't seen it for a very long time. And it's this. Because remember again, the Athenians, the foreigners, all those who had gathered up there, the philosophers, they talked about new philosophies. What was new? And so here's an adage for you. If it's true... It's not new. If it's new, it's not true. If you think about that, if it's true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not true. And so when we hear sometimes preachers of the gospel, preachers and teachers, evangelists, who will bring something new, well, almost never is there something new. Something is always kind of recycled. Something, if it is not found throughout, throughout our, this last 2,000 years, uh, it's probably, if it's said it's new, someone says, I have a brand new, in fact, it was revealed to me by revelation. It better line up with the Word of God. Because if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, folks, I don't care how new it is, I don't care if they say an angel came in the middle of the night and dunked them on the head and said, I got some new revelation for you. Ignore it. Run for the hills. If someone says to you, you know what? I have a vision and the, the second coming is God gave me a date when that's going to happen. Well, you know what? Ignore that person and run for the hills because that is contrary to scripture when it says that no one knows the day or the hour. And so Paul is, is uh, he is going to give one of his finest, finest messages in the Word of God. And this message, it is able to, uh, what he's going to say to the philosophers, what he's going to say to, the, to those who are of this council of religion and education, what he's going to say is, is really, it's a powerful message that's going to cover many points. And so uh, I'm just going to, 
I'm just going to imagine this as Paul's live streaming Facebook event to the Athenians, okay? And, and he's just going to lay it on. And so let's go to back to the, to the scripture, verse 22. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Aragapas and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And now he lays it on. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. In other words, you're worshiping something that is unknown. <laughs> and it goes on to say, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. That's what preachers do. That's what teachers do. That's what evangelists do. They proclaim something. It can be proclaimed in the house of worship, in church, in a sanctuary. It can be proclaimed in, in the class for the four- and five-year-olds. It can be proclaimed in, in the class for the you know, ages uh, you know, up to the sixth grade, fifth grade, whatever. It can be proclaimed in a youth group. It can be proclaimed by those who are pastors, teachers, those who have been uh, set apart to teach our kids and what have you, to proclaim, proclaim something. We, we know instinctively what proclaiming means. And so that is what Paul said, I'm going to proclaim to you. And what it really boiled down to is that the Athenians were so concerned about missing the name of one of their 3,000-plus gods and deities, they thought, we're going to cover ourselves. We'll just have one that just says, and to the unknown God. To the unknown God. You ever do that at Christmas time, buying presents? You buy presents for, okay, let, let, let's just have a come to meeting Come to Jesus' meeting here of, of truth, okay? How many times you bought stuff at Christmas you didn't really want to buy, but you didn't want to miss them? You thought, man, they might be buying something for me. Maybe I, maybe I better buy something for them. Oh, it's not really in your heart, but it's something that is in your mind that I want to avoid. Well, this is far worse. This is, let's create Let's create to an unknown God inscription. It actually was an altar, it says here in Scripture. It was an altar. He said, hey, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. I'm just wondering what Paul was thinking and doing when he came across that inscription. And he goes to himself, oh, wow, this is really rich. They just gave me some ammunition. And that's when he said, now, I'm going to proclaim to you because you're ignorant. You're worshiping something you don't even know who they are, what their name is, what, anything about them. And so in verse 24 then, he says this, the God, I want you to think, he's teaching. 
He's proclaiming. He's, he's preaching the gospel, the good news. He says this, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Now, he just gave them a revelation. Many of them would not believe him, and they would probably, they were not probably, they were, some of them were just, they were just even laughing at him and, and just being critical of him. And so he was speaking of the greatness of God when he said, the God who made the world, the God who made everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth. So he's speaking about the God that is the only God. And again, it says, and does not live in temples built by human hands. Hallelujah. So it's, it's interesting because in Scripture, in the Old Testament, God actually told his people that if you make a, an altar to me, make it of earth, or in other words, dirt. If you make it of stone, don't make it hewn stone. In other words, don't cut at certain angles. Don't polish it. Don't try to make it something. And I realized they had the temple, and that was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful temple. And all those things happened. But he's talking to the people at this point, and it's in Exodus chapter 20, verse 22 through 25. It says, and this was what he said to Moses, because they're not going to be building any temple out there in the wilderness. And so he says, the Lord says to Moses, tell the Israelites this, you have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Why would he have said that to them? Because they just came from Egypt where there are many, 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 many gods. He says, do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth or dirt for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep, your goats, and your cattle. Whenever I cause my name to be honored, I will call or I will come to you and bless you. And then finally it says in verse 25, the Lord said to Moses, if you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. So the Lord was keeping this very, very, very simple to the people of Israel. And we're reminded that in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, Paul refers to uh, the treasure that we have in this earthen vessel. And so we are actually an earthen vessel, and the treasure that we have is Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah, actually. It is, it is the Son of God. Hallelujah. Within us dwells Christ. Praise the Lord. So as, as we look at you know, what 
what does that really mean? It means that you really don't have to be super fancy to be a Christian. Now, there's lots of different ways, different denominations, different churches, different traditions. Some you have uh, individuals dressed in suits and beautiful dresses. Uh, they're dressed to the hilt. And if they want to do that, hallelujah. And they may say, well, we're going to the house of the Lord. We want to uh, wear our very best. And then you, you might dress just like I'm dressed. And, uh, you know, Holy jeans, you know, no, there's no holes in these jeans, but, uh, but they're, they're jeans and a shirt, and, and, uh, and it doesn't matter about how we look. It is about what this earthen vessel contains, and that is Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. And so it should make us feel kind of better that, you know, we don't have to be polished like the stone, cut it, you know, make sure the stone looks just right on the altar. We don't have to be fancy. We don't have to be, uh, you know, looking a certain way when we share, when we teach, when we preach. Because everything, get this, if you get nothing else, everything boils down to God receiving the glory. Everything that is said is to give him glory. It's not the package. It's not what, you know, you know what, just because we're, we're human and we're curious, you know, and we, we, you know, we have thoughts in our minds like, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at a computer screen maybe, or you're looking at your cell phone, or maybe you've got a projected, uh, you know, mirrored onto your, your television so you have a, a bigger screen, and you kind of think, you know, I can kind of see what all these people are wearing, and you just kind of look at, you might miss 10 minutes of the message just because you're, you're checking out what they're wearing. Hey, what the, we're wearing means nothing. All that matters is that God receives the glory. Come on, somebody. And so looking at this, we, we see that uh, God is being spoken of, of really it's about his goodness. And he's the provider. It says in verse 25, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. That's what Paul told him. He said, rather he himself gives everyone life. He gives them breath and he gives them everything else. That's what Paul is preaching. That is what Paul is preaching to this very tough group. And then in verse 26, it says, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And then he would say these words that it's the most popular verse really in that chapter, and it's a very popular verse, period, in the Word of God. In Him, we live and move and have our being. Come on, someone say amen. In Him, we live in Him. And that's why I say living in the protection of the Lord, living under the covering of God. In Him, we live. We live in Him. In Him, we move. In Him, we have our being, everything about us, you know, the people, you know, that are referred to as believers, as Christians, 
they're constantly, or not maybe constantly, but from time to time, they're meeting other Christians, other believers, and they are, in a sense, relatives. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. And hallelujah, they are bound together by the Spirit of Christ, and they become the family of God. Hallelujah. And they can say, well, we're bound together. We have this similarity together because in him, say it with me, we live, we move, and we have our being. That means just about everything in your life centers around that premise. Everything that you do, your plans, whatever your, your uh, thought basis is, is going to always go back as a believer. And it gets back to this question I asked a little earlier about your maturity. How do you know how mature that you, I mean, how, how do you know how mature you are as a believer? It's because if this verse, which is a one size only, hallelujah, or it fits all sizes, I should say, I said that wrong. If this verse applies to you, well, then you're mature. If you can say, in him, he lives and moves, and I have my being in him, then you have a great sense of maturity as a believer, as a Christian. And so that is what Paul is telling them. And then we get to, uh, and then we get to the next four verses, and I'm going to end with this. It says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And he says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world. You know what? I think I missed a verse. I did. I want to go back to verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, there we go, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. Now we'll jump to verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Verse 31, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered and said, and sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So Paul's crowd is starting to fall asleep. Paul's crowd is starting to laugh under their breath. Some of them are not laughing under their breath. They're just laughing out loud. They cannot believe what Paul is saying. They just do not believe it. It is not the kind of God that they know or recognize. And so it says uh, at this point, that at that point, or at that, Paul left the council. In other words, his time was over and done with. He wasn't going, they gave him all the time they wanted. Well, you know what, Paul, we've heard everything, you know, let's save this for another day. Let's save this for another day. Some people go to church that way who are, you know, they really don't know Jesus, but they go because of some reason. Maybe, uh, maybe it's kind of like my mom and dad. My mom if she ever had, I only remember my dad going to church one time, but uh, my mom was a pillar in the church, and I know that she was the neck that turned the head. 
And not only was she the neck that turned the head, if she wanted him to go to church, I'm pretty sure that she had her, her forefinger and her thumb right around his ear. And although he was a big guy, she kind of led him to the church. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, Paul is, is given as much time as they're going to allow him. And he finalizes again by saying, in him, we live and move and we have our being. And so now, now looking at, at, at verse, uh, let me just say, uh, verse 32. It says, oh no, you won't let me go to verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world and justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Of course, talking about Jesus. When they had heard about the resurrection of the dead, get this, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear more again from you on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Verse 34, last verse. Some of the people, oh, this is good news. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Praise the Lord. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Aeropagus, and also a woman by the name of Damaris, and a number of others. I like that last one, a number of others. That means there are many who listened, and they listened, and then they believed, and they believed. Hey, folks, someone, some people will always mock. They will always mock. If you think about it, there, for almost a, for about a hundred years, people were mocking Noah and his sons and daughter-in-laws. He, they were being mocked because they were building a boat, and uh, and so they 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 were mocking him for what was going on. But uh, you know, when the judgment time came, they missed the boat. They missed the boat. And so I'm hoping that I'm talking to those of you who are wanting to get mature in your walk, in your belief, mature as a believer. And if you come across people who are mocking, well, pray for them, but go on. Go on and talk to those who will listen. Hallelujah. And so that's... What I want to leave with you is just this last line, and it's the best line. In him we live. And by that, I think of this as I'm under the covering of the Lord God. I'm living in the covering of the Almighty God. In him I live. I move. You know what that means for me? That means my plans, what I do day to day, my life, my wife and I, and thank God my family, my grown children, we all have the same motivation. Everything we do in life is not just about a job. It's just not about uh, making wealth in this earth. It is about a motivation of how we can share the gospel with people, how important it is that we live our lives individually in a pleasing manner to the Lord. So a question for your maturity, do you live and move and have your being in him? If not, 
begin to ask him to help you. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for my friends who are listening tonight. I pray, I pray oh God, that uh, as Paul provided just such an incredible, incredible um, case for, for propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ, for sharing, for speaking to an audience that was a very, very, very tough, difficult audience. Lord, he was, he was uh, rewarded at the very end with those who said, you know what, Paul, we want, to, we want to be believers. We want to commit our lives to Christ. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anybody here listening this evening, I pray, God, that if they don't know you, if they're not walking after you, if they've not invited you into their lives, that this very second, this very second, that they will say, oh, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and know him for eternity. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Amen. Don't forget to trade your sorrows, trade your pain for the joy of the Lord. I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my shame.